Welcome to our Painesville Assembly of God podcast. Our desire is to connect people to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. If this message touches your heart, we'd love to hear about it. Email us at info at or visit PainesvilleAG.com. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to your faith. So let me ask you a question. If you could go back in time and uh, you could be a part of any singular event that Jesus was a part of or where Jesus was in the Gospels, what event would you choose? Perhaps some of you say, you know, I really would love to have been there on that night in Bethlehem when the Son of God was born as a baby. I would have loved to be there and see when the shepherds came and, and just to be there on that, on that night and that end. Man, that would have been just an incredible time to be able to be there. Or maybe some of you would say, you know, I think it would have been really cool to be there as people were mourning over the death of Lazarus and Jesus shows up four days later and, and he calls Lazarus out of the tomb to, to see that and to see Lazarus come out of the tomb. I mean, come on, right? And then some of you say, what about Lazarus? What about Jesus, right? Coming out of the tomb. Like that Sunday morning when, when, when they went to the tomb and the stone was rolled back. I mean, how I, I many of you would just love to be there to see the, the soldiers like shaking and the, uh, this like quaking and the stone rolled away, right? And Jesus coming out of the tomb. Like that'd be cool, right? Like there are so many things that we could choose. What what, what would you choose? Maybe some of you would say, you know, I remember that story in Matthew chapter 17 when, when Jesus went, took his three of his disciples with him, and they went up on a mountain, and there before him, he was transfigured before them. The word for transfigured is actually the word meta, metamorphosis, that he was, he, all of a sudden, it was like his glory broke out. And, and the human part of him that we, that we see, all of a sudden what was revealed was just this heavenly uh, body of, of, can you imagine being Peter, standing there with Peter and, 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 and James and John, and, and being up there in that moment with Jesus being transfigured, and all of a sudden then you see Moses and Elijah show up? I mean, can you imagine what that would have been like? And, and, and when I think about that, I think, you know, Peter, as he waxes eloquent, he, he goes, it is good for us to be here. Like, no, really, Peter? Do you think so? Right, Peter just, and then Peter gets so excited because you hear the voice of the Father, this is my son whom I love and whom I am well pleased. Listen to him, right? And Peter's like, we just need to stay up here. Let's just build some shelters, right? Let's build some, we're going to build one for Moses and one for Elijah and one for, we're going to build some shelters. How many know that when you have a mountaintop experience, like you just want to stay there, right? We just want to stay on the mountain. When you have a a spiritual high or encounter with God or, or the Lord is moving or something's happening, we just want to stay up there. But the problem is in Matthew chapter 17, the very next verse says they went down the mountain because life is not lived up on the mountain. Life is oftentimes lived in the valley, right? Life is lived in the valley. Life is not often on the the mountain. We don't get to just stay on the mountain. I think in in some of those ways, we're kind of like, Peter, it's really good for us to be here. Can't we just shelter here? Can't we just stay in place? He says, no, we got to go back down. There's, there's, There's work to do. 
But I think that the danger, if, if, if we're honest this morning, I think the danger is that for some people, their commitment only lasts as long as their emotional experience. Oftentimes, our commitment to God only lasts as long as it feels good, only lasts as long as we can be on the mountain, as we can, as we can stay up there. But when we come down to the valleys and we face the, the difficulties and the crisis hits and the feelings subside or the circumstances change and the, 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 the world becomes challenging and, and life becomes challenging, I think that sometimes we choose in those moments to sideline our faith. I think we choose to do that. I want to take a moment and help us get a picture of where we're going this morning. And so I, wanna, I want you to imagine that instead of dressed in our Sunday best, we, we, we have gotten out our, our running shorts, those little short nylon running shorts. That's not a picture we want to get into, is it? But, I, I, but <laughs> not a pretty picture, but, but imagine we're starting a marathon, right? And we're at the beginning of the marathon, and some of you go, I'm not in shape for that. That's Okay. You, but, but you put on your running shorts, you, 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 you get ready to go, and you're at the start, and the gun goes off, and everybody takes off, and we take off in that dead sprint, and there are some of you that will last about 100 meters, and then you're like, oh, I can't do this, I can't do this. Some of you last a little bit longer, but along the way, you find that there's some people that just get a little bit sidelined along the way. Some of them drop out of the race. Some of them are tempted to drop out of the race. At some point in any marathon, the runner, no matter how much they train, I did a half marathon several years ago, and no matter how much you train, because I train, there's a point in time where you think, I don't know if I can keep going. I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can keep running. I don't know. I think I might just need to stop. I might need to just finish. And and there's a point in time where you have to ask yourself, am I going to keep going or am I going to stop? And so the question I want to answer this morning is, how do we keep going and endure and living a life that is pleasing to God? How do we continue and endure? How do we run a good race and how do we finish well? And with that, I want us to look at a group of people in Scripture who faced a similar situation to to some of what we face. They were some believers who had come to know Jesus Christ. They had put their faith in Jesus. And uh, and for a while, they started out really well. They embraced Christ. They got off to a great start. In fact, Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 32 says, think back, the writers write to them, think back on those early days when you first learned about Christ. Remember how you remained faithful, even though it meant terrible suffering. You got off to a great start, and you remained faithful. Remember back to how you did that. But these believers now who had got off to a great start were experiencing just prolonged difficulty and struggle and suffering. And many of them were willing and, 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 and not willing, but many of them were contemplating turning back from their faith, turning back from following and, and, and giving up and sidelining their faith. Considering throwing in the towel, but the writer of Hebrews pleads with them, stay in the race. Stay in the race. Don't give up your confidence. That's what he says later on. Don't give up your confidence. Grasp what's going on. And so this morning, that's what we want to examine this morning. We're going to examine Hebrews chapter 12 this morning. We looked at Hebrews chapter 11. We'll touch a little bit on it again this morning. But again, here's what it says in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. Therefore, 
since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. I think in this passage, we have a wonderful template that, of how we can persevere in this race, this journey, this race of faith while we remain, while we are here on the earth, how do we persevere and finish well? And so I want to share with you today five steps to running a good race and finishing well. Five steps to running a good race and finishing well. If I'm going to run a good race, here's the first one. I will find strength from those who have gone before me. I'll find strength from those who have gone before me. You see, the Bible is more than just a a book that shares history. It's not just simply a history book or a, a record of past events or good moral sayings. The Bible is meant for our instruction. The Bible is meant for our growth. And it's also meant as an example for us to follow. In fact, Romans 15, 4 says, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction and through endurance and through encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Hope is a powerful thing. Hope is a powerful world. Hope is is something that people need today in this world. And these words were written for encouragement and perseverance, not only written to first century Christians, but also written for you and I. It's written for us. And Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1 says, Therefore, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, when we think about our own race, the writer doesn't want us to just think about our race, but to remember others who have run before. (coughs) Excuse me, the example of, of other people who have gone before us. And he says, listen, you're surrounded by others who have already run this race. You're surrounded by others who have already done this. There's an encouragement for you. And to grasp what's going on for a moment, we have to rewind to chapter 11 because there's the word, therefore. And whenever you see the word, therefore, and I did not come up with this on my own, you have to say, what's it there for? (laughs) What's it there for? (laughs) It's there because Hebrews chapter 11, as we looked at last week, is filled with all kinds of testimony of people who endured, who went through difficulty, who, who, who lived and walked by faith and lived by faith as an example for us. And here they are. They, they sit in the stands. People like Abraham and, and Moses and, and, and there's other people that, that we have listed that we know very little about. But they're here in this this particular chapter. They've got an unswerving faith and belief in God that they weren't willing to just simply give up and let go of. They became examples. They wouldn't quit. They wouldn't walk away from their trust in God, even though they were sometimes mistreated, even though God had called them to, to leave their families and go to foreign lands, or some of them who paid the ultimate tr- price by giving their life, 
for their faith. They faced incredible suffering, and yet they were still living by faith when they died. There's an incredible example. When the race was over, they were pressing on, and they followed God even though it wasn't a comfortable life. In fact, sometimes quite the contrary. Their faith meant sacrifice and hardship, and yet in Hebrews chapter 11, we have this this portion of this verse in verse 38 that, that, that says that God thought so highly, this is what he declared, the world was not worthy of them. The world was not worthy of them. And yet, here they are. And they're, they're, they're in this, the stands. So we're, we're in this race. Paul wants us to picture this, this stadium. Think Roman Colosseum, something like that, because that's about the time frame that he lived in. The, the Greek games and the, and the races the, the, that were run and the stands that were full of the people who are cheering the runners on. Don't give up. Keep going. In those stands, you have people like Abraham and Moses and David and Daniel and Elijah and Elisha and Joshua and Jacob. Oh, come on, somebody. And Jonah, maybe. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Isaiah, who are saying, you can do it. Jeremiah, keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't stop running. Keep going. Follow our example. How many have heard the phrase, can I get a witness? Right? Can I get a witness? Can I get a witness? Can I, can, can, see, I think that's what the writer is saying in Hebrews. Can I get a witness? Can I get a witness? And you got Noah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I can testify. Man, I'm telling you, 120 years of building an ark is not an easy thing, but oh, I can testify to the faithfulness of God. 120 years of building an ark and telling people the judgment and a flood was coming and not one convert, but oh, God was faithful and me and my family were saved. I can testify, keep going, keep obeying the Lord because he does fulfill his promises. Or you got Abraham, I can testify, I waited, and I waited, and I waited, because God promised, and I waited, and I waited, but I can testify that God comes through. I can testify that He is faithful, that even when you think He won't, He does. I can testify. I can testify. Come on, I can testify. Every one of the people in Hebrews 11 are witnesses of a life of faith that meant perseverance. Perseverance, And if you want to run a race and finish well, you, you have to, to remember and learn from those who have gone before. Learn from those who have gone before. Secondly, if I'm going to run a good race, I need to put off that which trips me up. I need to put off that which trips me up. He says, since you're surrounded by, by such a great cloud of witnesses, you're, you're running well, but you've got you to shed some baggage. Here's what it says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin which so, oh, so easily. I like, see that word easily? So easily entangles. How, how sin so easily entangles? It's so easy to get caught up and entangled in sin. In 2002, <coughs> Lloyd Scott uh, ran the world's slowest time in the London Marathon. 
Maybe you remember this. Lloyd was uh, someone who was a deep sea diver. He had uh, survived cancer, and as a result of that, wanted to run the marathon as a a fundraiser, and he wore a rubberized canvas 1940s diving suit with a copper helmet and lead-lined boots. It took him, listen to this, it took him five days, eight hours, 29 minutes, and 46 seconds to complete the London Marathon. That's a lot of time, right? He was interviewed after the race, and this is what he said, my boots weigh a ton, and I'm very top-heavy. My biggest fear has been tripping up because I've been very, I have very limited vision and cannot see curbs and broken paving stones. Can I say that Lloyd reminds me of a lot of believers who, who are hindered in their race, who are hindered in their race by baggage that they let weigh them down and sin that they let entangle them. There's this race that we're running and it's a lot harder than it needs to be. It's a lot harder than it needs to be. There's two kind, of, two kind of things that we're to untangle ourselves from. Two kinds of things that can trip us up and weigh us down. The, the first is things that are ungodly. The sin that so easily entangles. We've got to learn to let go of sin. We've got to learn to, to let Jesus untangle us from the sin that, that gets around and trips us up. One of the things that that I think when we read the Bible that happens is we become face-to-face with ourselves. James says that it's like a mirror, right? Hey, you look in a mirror, and, 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 and sometimes when we don't deal with our sin, it's like we look in the mirror and we forget what we look like. We walk away and, you know, tangled mess and everything else, and oh well. But the Bible brings conviction of sin, The whole point of of coming to know Christ is not just simply to start the journey by saying, Lord, I admit I'm a sinner, forgive me of my sin, but it's each and every day becoming more and more like Jesus, and becoming more and more like Jesus means that we've got to unburden ourselves from the sin that so easily entangles and has been entangling our lives. How many know that forgiveness and grace, they come immediately, but there is a process in which we need to become like Christ. It's called sanctification. We've got to separate ourselves from evil and follow Jesus. And that's a process that when we become convicted of sin, we say, oh Lord, I didn't realize I had that attitude still. I didn't realize I had that mindset. I didn't realize that that this was still something that was in my life tripping me up. I need your forgiveness and I, I need your grace because there are some things that, that, are, that, are, that, are, that are holding me back. There are things that are hindering my relationship with Jesus. Maybe for some of you it's an addiction. There's something that just keeps hanging on and you need help. You need, you need some people to walk with you so that you can untangle from that addiction that keeps tripping you up. Maybe it's a deceitful business practice. Maybe it's a flirtatious relationship. Maybe it's a heart that's growing cold. Something you're still hanging on to that is stealing the abundant life. You're letting the enemy, Satan, who's come to steal, kill, and destroy, keep something in your life that is is stealing from you. And Jesus has come that you might have life and have it abundantly. 
We think that sin is fun. We think that, 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 that it, it's no big deal. But if we're not careful, we, we don't recognize how it begins to eat away like a cancer and steal our joy and break up our relationships and hurt our lives and keep us back from what God desires. We've, we've got to get rid of the baggage. Secondly, not only things that are ungodly, but there are things that are unnecessary. There are things that are unnecessary. The weight. This is not something that is sin. This isn't necessarily something that is ungodly. It's kind of uh, something that, that is just simply not necessary that's weighing you down. It could be your life is, is so full that you don't have time for your relationship with Christ. Maybe you've got too many extracurricular activities going on and you have no time to spend spiritually investing in your relationship with Jesus. Maybe it's hours wasted in front of the TV or on your phone or social media or playing video games. Maybe things that aren't necessarily sin, but they're just not necessary. We, we live in a world that, is, that, is, that, that oftentimes is, is full of things that can just be hindrances. They're not necessarily sin, but they, they, can, they can fill our schedules and fill our lives and keep us from running the kind of race that is marked out for us. 2 Timothy 2, 3, and 4 encourages us to endure suffering along with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Soldiers don't get tied up in the affairs of civilian life, for then they cannot please the officer who enlisted them. Civilian affairs are not necessarily immoral things. They're not sin. They're, they're not wrong. They're just distracting. They're distracting from the, the mission that the soldier has been called to. So let me ask you, to fill in the blank on this statement, in order to finish well, I need to let go of what? In order for me to finish well, I need to let go of what, what is that? Maybe it's something that is ungodly or wrong, like sin. Or maybe it's something that is simply, you know, is unnecessary. Thirdly, if I'm going to run a good race, I'll have to choose to persevere until I cross the finish line. I'll have to choose to persevere until I cross the finish line. The writer says, <clears throat> let us run with endurance this race that was set before us. Do you know the word race here is the same word where we get the word agony from? <laughs> Seriously, in the Greek word where we get our word agony from, that's the same base word that you get the word race from. It's the idea of this marathon. And like we've said, it's not a sprint. A marathon is sometimes like agony. Right? There are some of you get the runners high. You might disagree with me, but I think at some point along the line, if you're honest with yourself, you're like, why did I put myself through this? Why am I doing this? Right? Down through the ages, greatness has been defined by people's ability to overcome the obstacles and failures in their past and to persevere in the present. Let me give you some historical examples. For example, there was a memo that came out of MGM Grand Studios shortly after Fred Astaire's first uh, screen test. And it said this, he can't act slightly bald and can dance a little. <laughs> Imagine that, <laughs> right? Walt Disney was fired by a newspaper editor for a lack of ideas. Henry Ford failed when, uh, and, and went broke five times before he ever succeeded. 
Beethoven had trouble handling a violin, and his teacher finally said he has no hope as a composer. Albert Einstein did so poorly in school, except for mathematics scores, that his teachers actually counseled his parents to pull him out of school because he would never make anything of himself. Right? There are lots of voices and lots of things and oftentimes failures and oftentimes things that, we, that, that, that trip us up. And, and God's not interested oftentimes in how we start. Sometimes we don't get a good start. Sometimes it's difficult. God is more concerned about how we finish. About how we finish. Frederick Nietzsche is attributed with saying this, the essential thing in heaven and earth is this, that there is long obedience in the same direction. Long obedience in the same direction. Everything in our culture revolts against this because we want something that is quick and convenient and instant and efficient, right? We like it now. Our battle cry is oftentimes, let's get on with it. I was thinking about that last night. I thought halftime at the Buckeyes game was never going to end. I was like, how many more commercials do we need? My goodness. Eugene Peterson said it this way, there is a great market for religious experience in our world, but there is little enthusiasm for the slow and patient acquisition of character and virtue. So character and virtue are things that are developed. They're not an instant quick fix. They're more of a crock pot than a microwave. But how many of you know things taste a lot better in the crock pot than they do the microwave, Right? There are things I can put in the microwave, and i got to be honest with you, they're not so good. But they're quick, and I can have it right now. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians <coughs> excuse me, 15, 58, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Friends, no matter how hard it gets, no matter how dark and scary things become, stay faithful. Stay faithful. Can I get a witness? Can I get a witness? Can I get a witness? Paul, Paul, Paul says, I'll give you a witness. I'll give you a witness. I, I can testify, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, I've been imprisoned. I've been flogged. I've been exposed to death time and again. I've been beaten with 39 lashes five times. I've been beaten with rods three times. I was stoned once. I was shipwrecked three times. I've been without sleep. I've been without food. I've been cold, and I've been naked. And every place I've gone, I've been in danger. And on top of all of that, I have the daily pressure of caring for the churches. I don't know about you. Do you have the same burden that Paul has? Have you gone through the same struggles that the apostle Paul has? He says, I can testify. I can testify because he never gave up. He never quit. Nothing could dissuade him from his commitment. Nothing in this life could quench his passion for Jesus because Paul had settled that ahead of time. Be steadfast and immovable. He made it up in his life that he was, he was locked in. Wherever life took him, he was locked in to Jesus. He was going to keep showing up. He was going to keep going. He was going to keep serving. He was going to keep preaching. He was going to go as long as the Lord had given him breath. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. So let me ask you, what does God want you to keep doing? What does God want you to keep doing? Where do you need to keep persevering? Maybe it's in your daily quiet time with the Lord. You just struggle with that. 
You got to keep trying it. Maybe it's continuing to participate in a small group or a Bible study and not give up and not get distracted. Maybe it's in your prayer life. What is the area that you've got to keep persevering so you can finish well? Fourthly, if I'm going to run a good race, I need to keep a single-minded focus. Hebrews 12, 2, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Or another says the, the author and finisher of our faith. Fixing our eyes where? On our spouse? Fixing our eyes where? On our parents? Fixing our eyes where? On a, on, on a, a Christian mentor that we've looked up to? Maybe it's a pastor, church leader. Is that what it says? Fixing our eyes on on people or things? No, if you fix your eyes on people and things, they'll let you down. It's fixing our eyes where? On Jesus. If you're gonna if you're gonna run this life, you gotta fix your eyes on Jesus. It might sound very spiritual. Oh, Pastor, that sounds like a Sunday we just call it a Sunday school answer. Right? Oh, what's the answer? Keep your eyes on Jesus. That sounds like a Sunday school answer. But friends, I'm going to tell you that the word fix here is intentional. Fix your eyes. This is something you have to intentionally do because it's so easy for us to allow our attention to get diverted, to get off of Jesus and onto other things that then cause us to worry and cause us to fret and cause anxiety and cause us to get off track. We lose our attention and our focus. It doesn't happen by accident. The word fix means focus, concentration, intention. It, when, when, when life is a race, you, you, you cannot develop spiritual intimacy on the run. We live in a world where this pace continues to accelerate, and a lot of us are addicted to speed. We cram every hour so full. We do everything as we can quicker. The world is possessed by hurry sickness. Did you know that in elevators, have you ever got in there? Do you know that there's a, a door? Have you ever seen the door close button? How many have got in there? You're in a hurry. How many hit that button? Do you know for most of the elevators, that button's a dummy? It doesn't actually do anything. It's really for people that don't want to wait 10 seconds for the door to shut. <laughs> I, I, can, I, can I just be transparent? I struggle with that. There are times I get in, I'm hitting that button. I'll probably still hit that button. It makes me feel better. <laughs> it's kind of like when you want to cross a walkway and you hit the button and you're wondering, <laughs> are the lights timing ever going to, are they going to change any faster because I've hit that button, right? <laughs> but we've got this hurry, <clears throat> this hurry sickness. In fact, there's a restaurant in Tokyo that doesn't charge you for the food you eat. It charges you for how long you take up the table. That, that, that's what it is, but we... We want to do everything more multitask and more quicker. We, we are in this hurry and this speed, but the temptation for that is, is that sometimes we never really get our souls restored. We're just in a hurry. How many know that I've never seen Jesus in a hurry? Jesus was never like to his disciples, hurry up, we've got to get there. Come on, what's taking you guys so long? In fact, there were times where I think that other people were trying to rush Jesus, but Jesus was never rushed. Jesus was never in a hurry. And one of the things he really took time to do was to spend time alone with the Father. He guarded those moments, whether it was getting up early in the morning or going up late at night on the mountain to pray. He took time to allow his heavenly Father to replenish his soul. Why? 
Because as Paul said, he knew what was really important. For whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Is there anything more important than knowing Jesus? Is there anything more important than knowing our Savior? So what will you do to keep your eyes on Jesus? Is there anything that has your attention, something that has diverted your attention? And it's time this morning to get your eyes back on Jesus. Finally, number five, if I'm going to run a good race, I must be willing to endure the suffering in order to see the smile. I must be willing to endure the suffering in order to see the smile. Here's the second half of verse two. For the joy set before him, talking about Jesus, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He was willing to die a shameful death on the cross because he kept in mind his heavenly father. He kept in mind the smile of his heavenly father. He knew the joy that would come afterwards. He kept in mind the joy of knowing that you and I would be reconciled to the Father, that there would be great joy in us being reconciled to the Father. In other words, in this race of life, sometimes you've got to look past the suffering of today and look to the hope that is promised tomorrow. Look for the hope of the one who is waiting at the finish line to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Well done. When I was in high school, I, I ran track, or not high school, junior high actually, seventh and eighth grade. I ran, I tried track, all right? It was something I wanted to try, try track. I wasn't a sprinter, okay? I just really wasn't very good at sprinting. And I wasn't very strong. I'm the skinny kid, so I can't do the shot put and the discus. So they said, you know what? You ought to run distance. So I want, you should run the mile and the 800. The problem was, I was terrible. Now, I'm just going to be honest with you. I was not very good. I didn't know how to pace myself. I didn't know how to train. I had a little bit of asthma, so that didn't help, right? That's not very smart. Nevertheless, two years I tried it, and every time when I'm running, I'm either in second to last or last place. But I got to tell you, I had my stepdad who never missed a track meet. He was in the stands. He was always watching. And no matter where I was in placing, I could be at the back of the pack, last second, didn't matter. He was cheering me on. And afterwards would tell me, man, that was a good race. That was a good race. Just try to beat your time the next time. Just something about the smile at the end allows you to endure the pain Don't forget the smile. Paul said, one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So friends, let me ask you, let me ask you this. Just one statement. I just want you to fill this out. He says, knowing what lies ahead. What motivates me is knowing what lies ahead, what lies ahead. So let me ask you, what could you endure in the present what, what can you endure in the present because you know that someday, someday, this is, this is what you believe is going to happen. Maybe for some of you, I, I can endure the present because I know that someday Jesus promises that I will be healed and whole. 
I can endure the present because I know. I can endure the, the, the present because I know that, that someday, someday, I, I, will, I will have a restored relationship. Maybe, maybe you can endure something in the present because you know that one day you'll be re- reunited with a loved one that has passed on before and it and helps the grief. Maybe, maybe you say, one day I know I'll be in the presence of my heavenly Father. What is it that you can endure the suffering of the day because you know that one day, someday, there's a promise that will be yours that Scripture says. As we conclude, I... I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up, but I want to leave you with one final thought. In the, in the Gospels, all four of them, there's, there's a story that is shared. All four of them, there's a story that is shared. And it's the story of when Jesus feeds the multitude. Remember the story when he fed the 5,000? He's there, and there's a 5,000, and that's 5,000 men that they count, and not counting the women and children. And he says, you feed them. And the disciples say, well, how, how can we do that? And he says, well, here's a little boy. He's got five barley loaves and two fish. And, and Jesus broke those bread. He prayed over it, gave thanks. And it, and it multiplied. And it not only fed that crowd, but there was, there was enough for all of them to eat and, stu- and, and much that was left over. How many remember that story? Do you remember what happened afterwards? Afterwards, Jesus, he, he, he departs from there and, and goes across the, the lake, and they, they're looking for him. And so they go around the lake, and they go to find him. And when they, they find him, they want Jesus to show them and do another miracle. Jesus, do another miracle. And he says, the only reason you found me today is because I fed you yesterday. That's basically, in essence, what he says. You're only coming because of the bread that I gave you, because I fed you yesterday. And he tells them this, life is more important than food. And at the end of that, he begins to teach them. And the teaching is not an easy teaching, but he's challenging them in areas of their faith. And he's teaching them, and he's, he, he's just spelling all of these things out. And they're having a hard time. In fact, they get to the end and they say, this is a hard teaching. And the very next verse, I think, is one of the most tragic verses in Scripture particularly in the book of John. John chapter 6 and verse 66. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Wow. I mean, I have this picture in my mind, Jesus just delivering this, this passionate message. Like he cares about them. He's shown them he has the ability to provide, but he doesn't just come to make sure that their physical needs are taken care of, but he comes and he cares for something so much deeper than what what they really need spiritually. The healing and the feeding that they need spiritually in their lives. And he's he's preaching this message passionately, and I can just imagine, because I'm preaching, and I just, you you think, how are people going to respond? And instead of, of, of receiving what he is saying, they, they walk away. People who it classifies as his disciples. Beyond the 12, others who said, I'll, I'll follow you. I'll, I'll, I'll leave what I'm doing and follow you. But at this point, I, I can't follow anymore. I, I'm giving up. I'm, I'm walking away. And he turns to the 12. And he says, what about you? Are you going to leave me too? What about you? Are are you going to leave? And of course, Peter, he doesn't like silence. Peter breaks the silence. But he says something profound. He says, where else would we go?
You alone have the words of life. And we know and believe that you're the Holy One of God. Friends, where else? Where else do we go? Where else do we go? I I believe that when it comes to this race, when it comes to this journey of faith, when it comes to this run, I've been a believer for over 40 years of my life. And I can tell you that I've come to points in my life where you have to make a decision like those people had to make. You come to a place where there's something that happens in your life that challenges you in what you believe, that challenges what you believe about God, who you believe Him to be, what you believe about Jesus. Do I believe what the Bible says? Do I believe what the Scripture says? Or am I done? Am I just putting? There comes a point in time where like Peter, you got to put down roots. There comes a point in time where you have to put your anchor down and you have to say, I don't understand the why and I don't know the how and I don't I don't." understand. But you know what I know? I know know who Jesus is. I know He has the words to eternal life, and I'm not giving up. I'm not giving up. I'm not giving up. I'm not giving up. Where else, where else will I go? Where else will I go? I, I am fixed in my faith, and I'm fixing my eyes on Jesus, who is the author and the finisher. He, he started this life in me, And I'm going to trust him that he will bring it to completion on the day in Christ Jesus. So, so friends, (laughs) when life gets hard, when, when, when the emotional experience of the high comes down and you're in the valley of the faith, here, here's the question. Are you willing to keep going? What's weighing you down? What's entangling you? Where's your attention? Are you willing to endure? Maybe you got to remember what's at the end of the finish line and the joy that awaits for those who don't give up, who endure. Let's bow our heads. I don't know what you're going through in this race. I don't know what it is that might be entangling you or weighing you down. I don't know where maybe your focus is not where it needs to be. But friends, let me ask you, is there something today that you, maybe you need to let go of, maybe you need to unburden yourself, or maybe you need to return the fixing of your gaze, or maybe you need to remember and look at those who say, I can testify. I can testify. But let's not give up. But if you have been struggling in some way in this race, in this journey, in your faith, and you say, Pastor, will you pray for me? Will you slip up your hand? I want to pray for you. You're just struggling in your journey, and you say, I just need prayer. I need prayer. Somewhere along the line, I'm struggling. Yeah, Jesus, you know those that are struggling. You know, God, what they're going through. You know the difficulty. You know the pain. You know the struggle. God, you know what areas that that are weighing down that might need to be lifted. You know, Father, uh, sin that might be entangling. God, you, you know how some are just tired and weary and ready to give up. Father, I pray encouragement today. Jesus, we confess to you our sin today. We ask you, Lord, to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us of unrighteousness today, that God, you'll untangle 
heal us. I pray you'll set some people free from addiction, God, that has been keeping them bound. I pray, Father, that, that, that in an act of surrender, you begin to move in and begin to untangle of that sin that's been tripping them up. I pray, Father, that you'll give us wisdom and how to realign our life and our focus, God, to be on you. Jesus, I pray for encouragement in the journey. I pray that today would be a day of your encouragement because you are a God who loves us and cares about us, gave your life for us. And so, Lord, we look at what you did and we say we can endure too. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you're encouraged by this message. For more information about Painesville Assembly of God, visit PainesvilleAG.com.